Well, thank you, Lucy, and thank you for reading for us so well. Uh, good morning, my name is Mike, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's exciting to uh, be kicking off in a Sermon on the Mount uh, this term, the greatest sermon uh, ever preached, I agree with, with Cam. Uh, sadly, sometimes also the greatest sermon uh, ever misquoted. Uh, so please make sure you've got your Bible there. I'm really going to be pushing us, uh, particularly with these Beatitudes, the Blesseds, to be in the text to see what Jesus is actually saying. So if you don't have a Bible, stick your hand up again or get it up on your phone. Really important. Uh, and I'm excited that we're uh, reading through the Psalms as well. So we'll do one uh, each week uh, for the kind of foreseeable future. Uh, and hopefully that will be an encouragement as we uh, are people of God's Word. And so learn the, the Psalms better. Have that Psalm, the language of the Psalms in our lives. Let me pray uh, for us again in light of Hebrews chapter 4. Well, Heavenly Father, your word is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And your word is able to judge our thoughts and the intentions of our heart. Help us this morning, Father, as we hear your word, that indeed it will judge us. That it will help us to know where we might need to change. That will encourage us and spur us on in the ways in our lives where we're living for Jesus, your Son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, the question I have for us this morning is, what is the blessed life? What is the blessed life? Uh, you know how people like to say, I'm so blessed, or that's, that's such a blessing. Uh, well, what do people usually mean when, when they say that? Usually, it's because of some happy circumstance in their life, right? A, a new job, uh, a new house, a new car, an exotic holiday, uh, a new baby, right? You see it on Facebook, so blessed. Uh, a recent marriage, a good meal if you're on Instagram and see everyone put their food up. Oh, how blessed. Uh, it's, it's that selfie, right? The selfie of that person in front of their new job place, in front of their new car or the exotic holiday on destination, that sort of thing, right? Uh, perfect image, perfect picture, hashtag blessed. Uh, that's the blessed life. And if you ask people in our world, what do they think? Uh, is, is the blessed life, is the happy life, that's that sort of thing. It's the happy life. It's the good life. It's that sort of stuff. And it's really interesting because that word blessed, it's a Bible word. And the reason we use it in our circles at times, the reason we hear it in our world, is because of the Bible's influence on our world. But what actually is the blessed life according to the Bible? And what is it in light of, of, of what Lucy just read for us, right? The, the poor in spirit are hashtag blessed. Those who mourn are hashtag blessed. Those who are persecuted, hashtag blessed. That, that's a church, a, a real picture of a church in Sri Lanka. Bond for being Christians, hashtag blessed. So you think of those images, they're very different to what our world thinks, very different to that you know, happy snap on holiday. And, and everyone wants to have the blessed life, and rightly so. It's good, it's godly to be blessed, to want the blessed life. But the problem is our world has made such a mess of what the blessed life actually looks like. Uh, our world has confused those, those fleeting moments of happiness as blessing. Uh, here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. Cam mentioned him last week. Uh, some of the things he teaches might not sit comfortably with us, but he's very helpful here. 
He says this up on the screen. He writes, Happiness is the great question confronting mankind. The whole world is longing for happiness, and it is tragic to observe the ways people are seeking it. The vast majority are doing so in a way that is bound to produce misery. He continues, This is where the deceitfulness of sin comes in. It's always offering happiness, and it always leads to unhappiness and to final misery and wretchedness. The Sermon on the Mount says, however, that if you really want to be blessed, here's the way. So here's the plan for us as a church this term. This term, we'll be learning about the blessed life and what it actually looks like according to the Bible, according to Jesus. And uh, we'll start today with what is known as the Beatitudes, those blessed statements that were read for us before. Uh, but really, it's the entire Sermon on the Mount that will do this term, uh, that will uh, help us understand what the blessed life looks like. Very famous, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we'll see that as Jesus teaches us, keep remembering as we read this, Jesus is the one teaching us, this is God's word. As he teaches us what the blessed life might look like, it's not actually what we might think. Uh, we'll see that the blessed life, according to Jesus, is much more realistic to what your life looks like. Not just those happy snap moments captured in a moment. Uh, that actually the blessed life, according to the Bible, is much more challenging. And it's much more joyous than those fleeting, happy snap sort of moments that our world captures. Uh, but as we start, and as you look at Jesus' sermon in your hope groups, uh, here are two things we need to know from the beginning. For one, it's really important that we read the Sermon on the Mount in context. Sadly, what people often do is they pluck out some of Jesus' lovely words from the Sermon on the Mount, take it out of context, and quote it all over the place, put it up on the house, you know, up on the fridge, and it's all very lovely. But they make a mess of what Jesus is actually saying. Uh, the context is important. Uh, remember where we finished off in Matthew last year. So it's up on the screen. This was the end of uh, Matthew chapter 4. And Matthew, he recorded this, told us this. He said, Jesus was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about Jesus spread throughout Syria, a whole region. And what we need to notice there is that Jesus was going around preaching the good news of the kingdom. It's really important. And you might remember earlier in chapter 4, when Jesus first began preaching, the first things he said was, repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Really important. As we come to the Sermon on the Mount, we need to realize that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is a sermon about the kingdom. That's the topic. Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom is like, and this is what kingdom life is like. Which is the second thing we really need to know, and that is who Jesus is teaching in this sermon. He's teaching his followers. And again, you might remember uh, at the end of chapter 4 last year that uh, Jesus had just called his first disciples. He's called Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And you might remember that there were these large crowds that were coming, flocking to come and hear from Jesus. But they didn't follow Jesus because of what Jesus taught. They followed Jesus because of what Jesus could do for them. And you might remember Jesus was healing people. And so you know, people were like, oh, I've got to... Bung leg, Jesus, fix my leg. And all these people were coming to Jesus to say, hey, what can I get from Jesus? But they didn't really care so much about what he was teaching or what he was saying. 
And it's important we get this as we start, because look at your Bibles now. Look at the end of Matthew chapter 4, verse 25. Look at your Bibles. Make sure it's there. Get it on your phone if you haven't got it there. Look at verse 25. Just to remind you again, Matthew tells us, verse 25, large crowds followed Jesus from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, beyond the Jordan, all around. And you read that and you think, great. Look at these people coming to Jesus. That's perfect. That's what Jesus wants, right? Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Look what happens. Chapter 5, verse 1. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. He left them behind. And after he sat down on that mountain, his disciples came to him. And as his followers came to him, those who wanted to listen to him, what did Jesus do? Then he began to teach them, saying, and then you get the whole Sermon on the Mount. It's important we get this right. You see, Jesus isn't interested so much in big crowds flocking to him. He's interested in those who want to listen to him about the kingdom. He's interested in those who want to be taught about what it means to be a citizen of God's kingdom, to belong to God's kingdom. And so as we sit here over the next kind of term, that's us, right? Jesus is saying to us, hey, you want to listen? You want to follow? Great. Come. Come sit with me. Come listen to me up on the mountain and let me, Jesus, tell you about kingdom life. Let me tell you about what it means to be truly blessed. You know, hashtag blessed. So Jesus is probably too cool for that. You see, what we need to know about the Sermon on the Mount is it's about the kingdom and it's about people who belong to the kingdom. And I take it that's most of us here. Uh, and if you're not yet following Jesus, we're well, going to learn great things about his kingdom. Uh, and what Jesus does, he begins this famous Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. Now, what are the Beatitudes? And uh, what does the word Beatitude even mean? Uh, maybe you went um, to one of those sandstone, very lovely private schools where they teach you Latin. I didn't. I had to look this up. Uh, I looked it up a few years ago. Uh, Beatitude really is just the word betus. It's a Latin word, and it just means blessed. So that's why this gets called Jesus' Beatitudes, because Jesus says many times, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. It's, just, it's a Latin word, Beatitudes. But what, is, what does the word blessed actually mean? We like to use the word, right? You know, oh, that's such, such, such a blessing. God bless you. Uh, you know, oh, how blessed am I? What do you mean by that? Uh, what, what do we mean by that word? What does it actually mean? Uh, preachers love to use that word, actually. You know, God wants you to be blessed, that, that kind of idea. You know, don't you want God's blessing on your life? And people go, yeah, I do, I do. Do you know what it is? No, but it sounds good. <laughs> I'll take some blessing. What does it mean? Well, we often translate blessed as happy. We often think blessed means happy. I'm happy, well, God must be blessing me. It's a whole hashtag blessed thing, right? Blessed because I'm happy. Look at this lovely moment in my life. But a better way to understand the word is to think about being favored, uh, being approved, being highly favored. And that's how the Bible mostly uses it. Uh, and in the Bible, people can bless God. Uh, you can bless God. People can approve of him. Uh, people can highly favor God. Uh, you know that. Blessed be the Lord. It means I approve God. I, I highly favor his ways because he's God. But also in the Bible, people can be blessed. People can be favored and approved. And this is where the shock comes as we look at the Beatitudes. Because if you stop and think for a moment, who are the blessed in life? Who are, who are the approved? Who do you think are the highly favored in our world? What would our world say? 
our world would say, well, blessed are the rich. They're favoured, they're, they're highly approved. Blessed are the celebrities. Blessed are those with high-paying jobs and the perfect physique and lavish houses. Blessed are those in high positions and, and, and positions of power. Blessed are the politicians. Actually, no one probably says that. Uh, you know, th- those are the sorts of people that, that we see as favoured, as approved, right? That's what our world thinks. But what Jesus says, it's radically different to that. So different. Who are the blessed? Who are the favoured? Who are the approved according to Jesus? Well, look at verse 3. Here's the first of them. Look at verse 3, the first of the Beatitudes. Jesus says, verse 3, the poor in spirit are blessed. Why? For because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Please look look at your Bibles at this point. As we jump into each of these, notice how each one has a statement. So verse 3, the first one, the first statement is, the poor in spirit are blessed. There's a statement. And each one then gives a reason why they're blessed. So again, look at your Bibles. Why? For, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. There's always a statement and then a reason why. And you'll notice with this one, the first one, and the last blessed in verse 10, the same reason why is given. The first one and the last one, it's the same thing. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of God. And if you read carefully, which, please, brothers and sisters, we must do. We want to understand Jesus. We believe God's word's important. We're not lazy. We'll work hard. Because if you read Jesus, hear Jesus carefully here, you'll notice the first one and the last one are in the present tense. So, so it's theirs is the kingdom. The first blessed, the last blessed, theirs is the kingdom. It's, it's a reality now. It's the present reality. And this is such a wonderful truth. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then brother and sister, yours is the kingdom now. You belong to it. It's your reality. Jesus has won it for you. He saved you to it. It's such a lovely thing. You are part of God's kingdom. Be in awe of that. Which then makes everything Jesus teaches about the kingdom really important because Jesus is saying, you belong to the kingdom and this is what kingdom people live like. And you belong to it. So live like this because it's your reality. That's what he's saying. But notice for all the other blesseds, all the ones in between, verse 3 and 10, have a look at your Bibles, it's, it's a future promise. Do you notice that? They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. Which reminds us that as followers of Jesus and citizens of his kingdom, that there's this tension. Because things are not fully complete yet. Jesus still has to come back and establish the fullness of his kingdom forever. And we've got to keep these tensions in mind. Yes, kingdom now, but also waiting for it to come fully. And we'll see why that matters as we go on. But what does Jesus mean by the first one? The poor in spirit. And here's where people misquote Jesus all the time. Um, Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've done it yourself. Jesus does not say, blessed are the poor. It's not what he says. He doesn't say, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom. Uh, And if Jesus did say that, just so we're clear, that means all of us are excluded from the kingdom. Because none of us here are poor. In what the Bible means by poor, what even our world really means by being truly poor. But it's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, we've got to read carefully, the poor in spirit are blessed. 
And if we had time, which we don't, do it in your hope groups and maybe write it down, read it later. If we had time, we could go uh, to the Old Testament and read Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 66. There's lots of background from that, those passages for the Beatitudes. Uh, write it down if you want to read it later. Isaiah 61 and 66. And what we read there is that the poor in spirit, to be poor in spirit, is to realize your spiritual state before God. It's to, to be humble before Him and repentant before Him because you know you'll sin. Because, because you know you're, you're spiritually bankrupt before Him. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. You're spiritually bankrupt before the God who made you. That's why Jesus says, as soon as He comes and starts to preach, He says, repent. Why? Because you're, you're poor in spirit. You need forgiveness. You're spiritually bankrupt. You have to repent and turn back to God. The kingdom is near. See, the poor in spirit are those who are repentant before God and then find forgiveness from God and then belong to the kingdom. Theirs is a kingdom because they know they need God. They need Jesus to save them. And can I say at this point, praise God if he has done that work in your heart. If you have been brought low and humbled and you've realized your spiritual bankruptcy before God, praise God. Because that means you know, it means you, know you need a savior. It means you know that you needed to come to Jesus to find forgiveness. And because of that, you're blessed. You're favored. You're forgiven. And yours is the kingdom. Verse 4, have a look at verse 4. Jesus says, verse 4, those who mourn are blessed. Why? For because they will be comforted. And again, Jesus, he's not talking about the mourning at a funeral. Uh, Christians often quote these words, and that's fine. Yes, Jesus gives us comfort when there's things and funerals and so on. But actually, the mourning and the comfort here is much bigger than, than a funeral. Uh, again, read Isaiah 61 and it will become clear. Israel as a nation in the time of Isaiah 61 in the Old Testament, they were in exile in Babylon. So remember, uh, Israel, great kingdom. They leave God. God judges them. They get taken into exile into Babylon. And when they're in exile, they're no longer a kingdom. They're under Babylonian rule. They, they get slaughtered as a nation. And, and as a nation, they were in a state of mourning. The kingdom of Israel was no more. And Jesus, as he preached this sermon 2,000 years ago to the Israel of his day, they were still a state in mourning. Uh, if you remember 2,000 years ago, who was the superpower? The Romans. That's right, the Romans. Not Israel. They were still mourning. And God had made a promise in Isaiah to his people. Again, you might remember this from Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people. God promised that one day... The kingdom would come. One day they'd be comforted. And Jesus declares, well, hey, the kingdom of heaven is near. Comfort is coming. It's come and it's coming. And for us as Christians today, we, we need to understand this. There's this tension, right? Yes, ours is the kingdom. Praise God. Uh, but we still mourn, don't we? Uh, if you don't mourn this world... Uh, then I don't know how you're living in this world. You see, we mourn, don't we? We, we mourn our broken world. Uh, we mourn at the sin of our world. We mourn when we or a family member or a friend gets struck by some serious sickness. We mourn when we hear of wars and rumors of wars, which, which at the moment feels like every second day there's some escalation. 
We mourn, don't we? We mourn when we keep failing in our own sin. That, that thing that you don't want to do, but you keep doing. And then you do it and you mourn because I can't help it. I don't want to do it, but I keep doing it. We mourn. We mourn because the kingdom has not yet come in all its fullness. But the promise here is we will be comforted. The day is coming when God will wipe away every tear and there will be no more pain, no more death, no more sin. Verse 5, look at verse 5. Jesus says, the gentle are blessed. Why? For because they will inherit the earth. And to be gentle or meek is not to be weak. Again, this gets misapplied all the time. Jesus is called gentle and meek in the, in the Gospels. And if you think that that means Jesus is weak, then you're a fool. <laughs> Jesus is very powerful. Just because he's gentle and meek doesn't mean he's weak. Now, the idea here of, of gentleness or meekness is humility. It's lowliness before God and an acceptance that God is great. I'm not. God is sovereign. I'm not in control. So you trust him. That, that, that's what citizens of God's kingdom do. They trust the king. They know he's got it in hand. And we're gentle about things. We're meek in how we behave ourselves because we know God will bring justice. He's got it in hand. And Jesus here, he's quoting from Psalm 37. And Psalm 37 is a call to trust and wait expectantly for God, particularly when there's evil or, or wickedness. So it's up on the screen. And this, this massively helps us to understand our world. Look what it says. Psalm 37, it says, Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. For evildoers will be destroyed. But those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be there. But the humble, the gentle, the meek, they will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. In other words, don't be fooled into thinking that the wicked of our world who steamroll their way to the top and, and, and flatten everyone on the way up to their position of power, and when you see them there, you think they're the rulers of the world. Look, look at the rich and the famous and the powerful. They, they've inherited the world. They own the world. Look at them. And Jesus is saying, no, don't be fooled. Don't be like the evildoer. Don't think like the evildoer who, who in their great power of position think that they're blessed. Or living the blessed life? No. Those people, if they're not trusting Jesus, will inherit nothing. Nothing. Jesus is saying that the lowly, the gentle, the meek, those who trust God and commit in all his ways, they are the ones who will inherit the heavens and the earth. Who, who trust God to bring justice and vengeance and judgment. And who are not like the evildoer and go, wow, look how they get to the top. I'm going to do the same. Don't do that. That's not what the Christian does. The Christian is meek, gentle, like Jesus their Lord. Verse 6, and we'll move uh, more quickly now, and again, spend more time in your hope groups. Verse 6, Jesus says, Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed. Why? For they will be filled. And righteousness can be a tricky word for us, but it simply means God's way. What is right, what is righteous, is the way of God. It's, it's quite simple in the end. And those who hunger and thirst for God's way, they will be filled. That's the promise. And again, not only filled in, in living God's way now, and can I tell you, there is no way 
uh, of life more filling and more satisfying than God's way. It's hard, but it will satisfy you like nothing else. But it's even bigger than that because, again, when God's kingdom comes in all its fullness, when Jesus returns, then we will be fully filled, fully satisfied because righteousness will reign for all eternity. And I don't know about you, but when I sit with people in this church and they share with me about a struggle uh, or a suffering or a relational breakdown, and often we both end up in tears over this situation that's going on in their life, or when you hear about wars uh, of our world again, which is every second day, or you hear the corruption that destroys people's lives and, and ruins their earthly lives, what do you do in that moment? I hope, like me, you cry out, come Lord Jesus, come. Put an end to it. I'm sick of the unrighteousness. I'm sick of the injustice. I thirst. I hunger for righteousness. Father, I want your way to reign in all things forever. And the promise here is that day will come. Hunger and thirst for God's righteousness and you will be filled. You'll be satisfied. That day will come and again, there will be perfection. Verse 7. Jesus says, look at verse 7. He says, the merciful are blessed. Why? For they will be shown mercy. And again, the merciful person here, it's someone who understands their sin and who so understands how poor in spirit that they are, that so understands their own sin, that they're not so judgmental towards other people. Because they go, oh, that person's been, okay, maybe a bit of a jerk, <laughs> but I'm a bit of a jerk. And how do we just, how do, how do we be merciful towards one another? See, the Christian understands just how undeserving of God's forgiveness we are. And so we're a people who show mercy. And God shows mercy to those people. They're, those people are highly favored by God because they know what it means to be forgiven. Verse 8 and 9, we'll do the next two together. Look at verse 8 and 9. Jesus says, The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. The peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called sons of God. And both of these are about an attitude of heart. And we'll see this over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you've got the religious leaders. And what they were like is they loved being externally pure, externally clean. So they do all this religious stuff. Uh, and they'd look really good. And people go, wow, they must be you know, super religious God followers. But the whole time their hearts were evil. And Jesus says, no, don't be like that. Don't, don't be an appearances external person. Now, Jesus says it's the pure in heart. It's those who in their hearts are for God. They are the ones who will be blessed. They are the ones God saves and are part of his kingdom and live like his kingdom. And it's those who are peacemakers who will be called sons of God. And again, if, if you're a Christian and you understand the peace that Jesus has brought between you and the God who made you, if you understand how undeserving of the peace you are, and yet Jesus has brought that peace, doesn't that make us peacemakers? If we understand how much has been forgiven us, doesn't that make us people who try to reconcile our relationships and are peacemakers towards one another as the family of God? See, maybe there's some of us here who need to do that, who need to seek peace in our relationships. Do it. It's Christian. It's what's modeled from Jesus. But as we get to the last blessed, uh, there we're confronted with, I think, the most radical of them all. And uh, I'll begin to wrap up with this one. Look at verse 10. Look at what Jesus says, verse 10. I think this one's really key. Verse 10. Jesus says, 
Those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And if you stop and think about that, that's completely backwards. Uh, just say, can we, Robin, can you put that picture up just from before, from that church? Imagine turning up to that church and saying, you're blessed. Blessed. Who, who would ever in their right mind say, persecution, blessed? But that's what Jesus says. That's what he says to us. And it's really important we understand this rightly. It's not blessed are those who are persecuted for living a foolish life. Well, no, that's on your own head. <laughs> you know, blessed are those who, who are suffering the consequences of their own sin. No, that's on your own head. It's not even blessed are the Christian fanatics who you know, trample the gospel down people's throats and, and push people to follow Jesus and ram it down their, you know, down their throats. You know, those kind of Christians that sometimes are preaching and, and it's so hardcore in how they preach about the kingdom and you're all going to hell and it's, there's no gentleness, no love, no mercifulness, and they go, and, and then people are really upset at them and, and call abuse back at them, and they go, Well, I'm just being persecuted because I'm, you know, because I'm living for Jesus. That's not that's not what Jesus means. No, it's being persecuted for righteousness' sake. It's being persecuted. Look at the verse for living God's way. Or verse eleven, it's it's being persecuted, verse eleven, because of me, because of Jesus. And in verse 11 and 12, Jesus speaks directly to his disciples at this point. You can kind of imagine he's been saying, those who such and such are blessed. And then he turns now to his disciples, whoever was there with him, sitting there on the mountain, whoever was there, Jesus turns to them and says, blessed are you. Blessed are you, my followers, when they insult you. When they persecute you. When they speak all sorts of false things about you. You're blessed. And again, you just think, how? Like, why blessed? It's backwards. How? How is that blessed? Well, Jesus says, because yours is the kingdom. Because, look at verse 12. Really important to get this in our heads. Look at verse 12. Because that's how they persecuted the prophets of old. Because that's how they persecuted Jesus. He lived God's way. Where did that get him? Persecuted death on the cross. And where are the prophets of old now? Where is Jesus now? Do, do you think that the prophets of old regret sticking to God's way and then being killed for it in the Old Testament? Do you think Jesus regrets going to the cross and being killed? Of course not. They're in the kingdom. They, they, they're living in the kingdom. Jesus is king of the kingdom. So do you see, do you get this right? When, when you are persecuted as a Christian because of righteousness... Because you belong to Jesus, you can rejoice. Isn't that bizarre? You can be glad. Not as some sort of massacre. You you're glad. You rejoice. You can be assured that you belong to the citizen. You're a citizen of God's kingdom because that's what happened to the prophets of old. That's what happened to Jesus. When you're persecuted as a Christian, you can go, well, I'm living a Christian life, aren't I? Because I'm being persecuted because I'm living for Jesus. That was his way. That was his model. You experience the realities of the kingdom. Uh, Don Carson has an excellent commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. If you can get your hands on it, uh, do so. And uh, Sorry, this isn't on the screen. I didn't get a chance to, to uh, put it up on the screen. But he writes this. Listen carefully. I'll read it twice. I, and I think, I think this really 
is a challenge for us, if I'm honest, and a challenge for me as well. He writes this. He says, If the disciple of Jesus, that is, if the follower of Jesus, never experiences any persecution at all, it may fairly be asked where righteousness is being displayed in that person's life. Just think about that. If the disciple of Jesus never experiences any persecution at all, it may fairly be asked where righteousness is being displayed in their life. It's a tough question, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying invite and go looking for persecution. No, of course not. That's not Jesus' way. But the Bible tells us if you live God's way and if you live for Jesus in this world, they will persecute you. And don't just think of you know, the church building that was up before, bombed in, in, in Sri Lanka. Don't just think of that. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. It's the insults. It's the word spoken falsely against you. That's not true. And don't think of persecution coming only from outside. Sadly, sometimes it comes from inside, from the church. And you know that through history. And please, brothers and sisters, let us never be that kind of church who insult each other and speak falsely about each other. Let us never do that. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. But the point is, if you live for Jesus, persecution and insult will come. And it will come in small ways and it will come in big ways. I mean, just to share some small ways, uh, uh, partly me confessing my sins again now, uh, every time I buy or sell a car, I'm a bit of a helpless, hopeless, helpless car guy. I'm working on it. Pray for me. Uh, but whenever I buy or sell a car, and if you've ever done this before, uh, you'll notice that when you buy or sell a second-hand car, you've got to write how much the car was sold for. You've got to put that on, on the paperwork. And every time I do it, uh, almost every time, they'll say, hey, let's fudge the sale price and make it less. So you pay less tax or I pay less tax every single time. Uh, when a tradesperson or salesperson comes to my house and they'll say, hey, here's the price, but hey, let's do it cash in hand. And then that means I don't have to pay as much tax on it and, and you get to pay, you know, do a less price and it's a better price for you. And everyone wins. Woo, it's great, right? And I usually say at that point, uh, oh, no, thanks for that. Look, sorry, I'm... Um, I can't, I can't do that if that's okay. Uh, I, I'm actually a Christian, and I, I just I can't do that in my conscience. Uh, and most of the time, they ridicule me for it. Uh, sometimes they insult me for it. And I go, what? Are you an idiot? Like, it, it'll be cheaper. Just, you pay less. Well, and then sometimes they jack the price up. It's like, oh, well, they, it's not cash. Well, here's the price. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, well. You see, when you stick up for God's way in your conversations, especially around sexuality in our world at the moment, they will insult you. People will mock you. Your family may detest you because you follow Jesus. Your friends might reject you because you used to party hard and, and, and get drunk and, and you know, you've matured as a Christian or, you, or you've become a Christian. You don't do that stuff anymore. And that, they just, they'll mock you. They might even say, well, let's not invite them anymore. They're, they're, they're a killjoy. You might miss out on a, on a promotion or a pay rise or be ostracized in your workplace because you decide to, to live in your workplace in a way that honors Jesus, that's honest, that, that you know, doesn't try to rip off the other person. Ah, oh, don't worry. Ah, oh, just, nah, stuff them. You go, I can't do that. And then you miss out on promotions or miss out on team meetings, whatever it is. See, brothers and sisters, we don't invite persecution, not at all. But live for Jesus Live for his kingdom, 
and persecution will come. Just like it did for Jesus. They hated him too. And yet we can be so encouraged because Jesus died and rose again to save you to his kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. And so, do you want to live, you know, the hashtag blessed life? Well, keep following Jesus. You keep following Jesus, you are highly favored because of him. Keep living for him and you will be comforted. You will inherit the new heavens and the new earth better than what this world can give us any day of the week. You will be filled. You'll be shown mercy. You will see God and you will be called sons of God. Praise the Lord. Well, what we're going to do now in response is we're going to sing together. So if the band would like to come up, uh, and as they do, how about you stand and let us praise together our great God.